well, let's see, it came out in 96. So I was nine. I right. got a Game Boy. <laughs> I got the blue version. I got on it yeah. immediately. And um, who was your starter? Who was your starter? Bulbasaur. Yes. Yes. Bulbasaur, dude. Long and by the way, by the way, probably my favorite Pokemon. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and I'm so excited. This is the one-year celebration bonus episode, episode 52, and that, what you just heard, was a sample from my great interview with the amazing guest, Chaz Bates, from Man Shorts on YouTube, also known as the rapper Yazik. This episode is a little bit different from some of my others. We get into a ton of different topics, from life to music to D&D and video production and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus full-length episode with Yazik after the main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider making a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you will get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every single week. They range in length from 15 minutes to something similar to today's, which is a full-length bonus episode. And you'll also get access to the entire back catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So if you enjoy my conversation with Yazik today, do not forget to head on over to patreon.com slash Dungeons Editors and help keep this podcast ad-free. Now let's get in with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, we are joined today with a very special guest at the Dungeons and Dizzers table. We have Charles Bates, also known as Chaz, also known as Yazik. Charles, welcome so much to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Oh, my goodness. This is, uh, this is a special treat, especially for myself. Hopefully, there's a, there's a few select people that I mentioned that this might occur. Of course, I try not to count my chickens before they hatch, but... I have been a big fan of yours for for a while now, and and just I'm I'm over the moon that you were that you were able to come on. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. So I want to dig right in as much as I can into into a few of these things that uh, that I've that I've pulled out of a hat here and uh, and see where things go. So um, first and foremost, I take it, uh, it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're a bit of a Clockwork Orange fan. I am a tremendous Clockwork Orange fan. <laughs> it's it's my favorite movie. I think it's I think it's a cinematic masterpiece. And I read the book after I saw the film. Um, and the book is good in its own way. It is mm-hmm. there are some major differences in the book than the movie, as you find, but I enjoy both versions independently. I think that they're excellent. And uh, so Yazik is one of those words that is one of the kind of pseudo-Russian English hybrid words that means uh, tongue, which is pretty fitting for uh, your career, both in hip hop and in kind of uh, audio and visual entertainment. So is that an intentional pick? Yes, definitely. Um, it's I spent probably a year deciding on what my rap name would be. In fact, at one point, I was very confident in Pope Hope. And yeah. I'm so happy that my friend was there <laughs> to talk me out of that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I think that for inspiration, I turned to what my favorite, some of my favorite entertainment is, and that being clockwork and that whole NADSAT language that Burgess created, that's like you mentioned, like that Russian hybrid 
like a teenage slang. And I, I thought, what, what if I did one of those, like what, a word from that? And then it occurred to me that the he says in the film um, when he's when he's going through the whole Ludovico treatment stuff about how he had and he licks the guy's boot and he refers to his tongue as his Yazik. And I was and I thought about it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, nobody's going to know how to spell that or say that. And, you know, that was the case for quite a while. But now. I'm the only one. Like, if you Google Yazik, it's all of my stuff. So You've got some, some great SEO with that. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's some credibility to like being the only one. Like, yeah, it creates some confusion sometimes, but it, you know, it keeps me on my own island on social media. So, so in the in the tune of rap, um, there's a there's a lot of directions that this can go with with kind of rap and hip hop. Um, but a lot of your songs have a bit of a transhumanist slant to them on top of being kind of in the nerdcore realm. Um, you have a lot to kind of say on the future of humanity and of kind of human intention, like the intention of humanity to either merge with AI or kind of become something more. Uh, do you think that we are already past the turning point of like a no going back? Like we're either going to you know, artificial intelligence is going to be a thing or we're going to end ourselves? Or do you have, you know, any wavering thoughts in that realm? Um, so that's a great question. Um, and I love talking about this stuff. The the uh, It's nice to hear people picking up on that. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer in, uh, I'm in my personal life, and, you know, I'm sure that it could be marked down to psychological OCD issues, but I'm like, I'm really a perfectionist when it comes to just like efficiency of processes in general. Um, and so, and I think that we as humans are right. Cause like, that's what our whole history is, is just like coming up with the way the next thing that's going to make that thing easier. That's going to create another thing. And then we make that easier in terms of like passing the point of no return. Like, I don't know, man. I just read an article the other day that now the, now computers are writing their own code. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think I, I don't necessarily think that it's a matter of reaching a point of no turning back so much as that, you know, whenever it does happen, and I believe that it will happen, I think that that's just the natural progression of things. I mean, our phones are already limbs. Oh, yeah. right. I mean, you have your phone with you everywhere you go, and it's a part of you. It's a part yeah. of your person and being without it creates anxiety. I, I, yeah. Years ago, I forgot my phone at work one day and I can't tell you just like the existential crisis of just looking down and not being able to scratch that itch. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess in that regard, we kind of have passed that threshold. But That's I mean, fair. I think that once when the time comes, you know, like Musk is developing the neural link thing. Yep. And uh, I read I saw an, uh, an interview with a woman recently saying that she thinks 12 to 15 years before it's safely in humans, which probably I think, means seven. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and a lot of people have called kind of 2045 has been called years and years ago was kind of yes. uh, one of the big you know, sort of evangelical points of, of transhumanism. So I think that the, we're still kind of on track for that. I mean, I, I just saw something the other day, a paper that it's, it's wild to me to see AI and neural networks being used for mundane things. Like, yes. like, like it's, that's, that's a, a, a ridiculous amount of power 
that is being put forth. And some of it's not entirely mundane. One of it was a presentation that NVIDIA had done. Of course, they're doing running neural networks on you know mass GPU farms, but it was to render uh, a video game in real time and from from nothing from there was nothing there. They gave it a, a bunch of sample code and and essentially was running. I think there was one of one part of the presentation was they were showing like GTA six or GTA five. Right. But they said, take everything that's in GTA five and find real world analogs to render this in photorealism. And it was doing it was running real time. It wasn't running like it rendered it and then re-rendered it. It was finding this is a building. This is a billboard. This is how they actually look using like Google Earth images. That's unbelievable, man. That's that's really crazy. But it's like, but that's for a game like that amount of power. Where is that? Where is that being used? That's not being seen. That's the well, scary stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, that, and then also, you know, it's it's a cart before the horse situation, right? Like we figured out phones before we figured out uh, self driving cars, right? So, yeah. like, we have a habit of doing that. We will create a thing, and then we don't create the thing that helps alleviate a lot of the stress from that first thing for another <laughs> thirty years. Yeah, we created so, the internet before we came together as a race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like to that point, it's, um, you know, what is it to be used for? Well, I mean, my answer would be nothing yet. But, you know, if 2045, if there's any kind of truth behind that, uh, you know, if we do figure out a way to isolate and transfer and download the consciousness, we're going to need that. If if we're going to if we're going into the servers, we're going to need a matrix to live in. We'll need it or a guide to tell us what they are. The AI will know what the server is before we do. (laughs) We'll need somebody to help us cross the river sticks. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's true. And you know, the other concern I think with all of that stuff is who's running the, who's, who's steering the ship. Right. So like there's that concern too, when it comes to privacy and we've already seen like in the last decade or so, the trouble that lies within signing your life away to these social media networks and, Um, any of these, like these phone companies like Apple and stuff, like who's running that and what, you know, what kind of terms and services are you agreeing to in your new life? That's going to be a real question because I'm a person that look, if you can show me that it's safe and it's proven, I'm going in. If I can experience, if I can experience the life that I'm experiencing now with less limitations, and, and I don't dragon have wings <laughs> and I don't have to sleep and I can look and feel however I want to. It's, you know, for me, it's like, why wouldn't you want that? The only trouble is, is that who's got, who's at the switch? Because, you know, if it becomes a thing where it's, you know, decisions are made based on politics or religion or any of that stuff, it gets squirrely fast. Yeah. If we don't figure out money and the fact that we don't need that before we figure out, uh, yes, that yeah, that's money, that it's just it's just going to be a corporatocracy. <laughs> like, yeah, money's the big hurdle, I think, too, like that, the, it being able to and, you know, I'm not saying get do away with it, but, you know, to act as if it doesn't need to be analyzed and approved upon is crazy. It's 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 clearly a big problem. The government's just spending all kinds of money all of the time. And is it real? Is money even real? Like, what right. is it? There's no basis anymore, right? We stopped basing it on gold years ago. Mm-hmm. So really, what is it other than just printed stuff that we've all agreed upon? 
And even that, like, all the printed value. could go away and still about 80% of the economy works fine because it's all digital anyway. Yeah, so, it's all just numbers on a computer. So the, the only people that hurt when printed goes away are small businesses. And I can't right. even say like drug cartels or anything, because that's all either cryptocurrency or digital anyway. Like they don't care. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's another issue that they're ha they're going to be having. We're going to be having as a society over the next few decades, right? Is like how much of the how much illicit stuff is tied up in crypto? Mm hmm. I mean, That's right a, now, let alone yeah. once it gets more popular, like, and well, how do you and, solve, how do you fix that? Like <laughs> crypto could come under attack if like if quantum computing or AI beats crypto to the market, then crypto has to change because quantum computing solves Bitcoin all the way out That's in true. a week. Yeah, like, True. and so then, then that if that did happen first, then it's another problem of if quantum computing happens, then the entire economy fails. Like, yeah, we're getting real close, man. Like, I, 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 I'm not like super deep into it. I probably don't do enough research for how much I'm into it and talk about it. I, I probably don't do enough. I, I need to do more. But even just the small stuff I've seen, like, I don't know if you saw the recent Boston Dynamics video. A couple of weeks ago of atlas who is now untethered doing backflips and shit yep. I mean, it's, we're getting close man like and when you consider that it's like what's the law about every two months there's some, oh, some person yeah. smarter than me has a law where <laughs> like every two months technology doubles in in its efficiency so well, if that's the case it's yeah, it's just going to well, and it's I think I think it comes down to like which technology wins, right? Because like biomechanics has been coming in leaps and bounds, too. I also am not nearly as researched. I don't think you can be yeah. researched in all the things that I mean, you'd have to be in. You'd have to be in the field, I think, right. like to really know. But we've got there's been leaps and bounds happening with uh, like the uh Cas9 and CRISPR and stuff with with oh yeah know, the biohacking stuff. stuff yeah and so it's like is it going to be AI or is the first neural network going to be 3D printed on cloned neurons right like is it are we just going to use or is it some combination of the two? like who wins in that war <laughs> like yeah you know it's a great it's a great question and I actually think that there is going to be a split you know which is why. Which is why I don't think that it's as easy to clarify whether or not there's a turning point that we've passed, because I think that regardless, you're going to have people like me who are like, plug me in, hook me up. I want to be on the server. And then you're going to have people that are like, I don't, you know, forget that. Like that's I'm not going to throw away my humanity. And there's validity to that argument. I yeah. don't agree with it, but I understand why someone would feel that way. But to your point about like the biohacking stuff, which there's a documentary on, which is like super interesting. I wish I could remember the name of it. But I mean, these people are like legit hacking their genes, like yeah. they're, they're hacking their DNA as you would a computer. And yep. um, it's working. Yeah, so, the, the the CRISPR and, and Cas9 technology is is kind of in the same realm as cell phone is you can get a CRISPR kit for like a hundred bucks. Yeah. And do whatever not, you want not, with it. It's not expensive to no, change your DNA. Like and there's not any real regulation on it outside of please don't make a super weapon. But <laughs> well, I mean, we don't even have you know, our our government wasn't even able to presuppose the internet, you know, yeah. like there's still a bunch of shit online that's just not handled. 
properly because they just there are no laws for it. So when you're talking about like people affecting their DNA, yeah, I think it's going to come down to like people that become superhumans and people that download into the server. Yep. And then and, people in the middle, the the kind of Luddites in the middle, which I don't even think like I don't want to necessarily say like Luddite in a connotative sense, because there is some validity in that scenario to having somebody on the outside that is a control, you know? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, you will need those people that, you know, can make an objective decision with not having a vested interest in either some genetic altering code or you know some real code um but yeah i love that kind of stuff man like i'm glad that you pick up on that in my in my music because like i i I don't know i feel like i would have been a a philosopher back in the day like i just feel like um i think like my role of existence is to just like start the conversation I'm not the guy that's going to solve the problem, but no, I'll be the yeah. one to keep talking about it. Like, you know, stuff like stuff like the Malaysian airplane disappearing, like mm-hmm. people forget that that happened. And it's like, we shouldn't forget that that happened. That was a major, major event. And it could lend some credibility to simulation theory. Like that's weird stuff for a plane of people to just disappear. And like, yeah, they found parts, but it's like, I get it. The Indian Ocean is huge, but like, really? Right. We we really have no clue at all. It just completely van. It's like I get that the, if that happened in 1900, right? But but we like have 20- satellites that are finding pyramids in like the forests of like South America and oh, the Amazon. Yeah, so we should be able to find the bits. Yeah, of plane. yeah. If they can find temples with lidar in like the Amazon rainforest, there's mm-hmm. no reason that they shouldn't be able to get the same thing accomplished in the Indian Ocean. I mean, it could just be that I'm completely ignorant of how the technology works, and but you know, I just feel like it shouldn't have been as perplexing as it was. Yeah, it, it may be for a week or two, but certainly right. not just in perpetuity where yeah. either that or there's a cover up there. And I don't like jumping to conspiracy either. Like, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that we don't know. I feel like the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. And I feel like it, it's, you know, when you're a kid, you know who you are. And you have your, you know, you have your idea of what you want your life to be. And then I feel like as, as you get older, like into your twenties, you kind of figure out how that you fits in with the rest of the world. But then now that I'm in my thirties, I've just spent the last couple of years realizing like, I'm just so dumb. All of us are just really, really kind of dumb. That's the next kicker is like, I'm dumb. And then, but I'm not below the 50% margin. Right. So that means yeah. everybody's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Carlin said, right? Like, think about how mm-hmm. stupid the average person is and then realize half of them are stupider than that. Like, <laughs> it's intense Carlin to was, think about, man. He he is one of those, like, in that in the scene in Men in Black where they talk about all the different people that are aliens. I always come back to that scene and but apply it to more and more people. Like, and I right. feel like George Carlin was definitely one of those way oh, ahead no of doubt. his time no just doubt. preaching you know you speak as a as a creative um i feel this a lot as well which is like i am not going to solve the issue but i can bring awareness to it and i can talk about it right. and i can engage the conversation in hopes that six steps from kevin bacon i might reach the person that can fix things yes yeah well that's the goal i think for me as an artist like 
I think that, and you know, it could be argued that it's a cop out, but I really do feel this way. Like, I feel like my main goal as an artist is to like inspire other people to be artists mm-hmm. or not even necessarily be artists, but just to like do the thing that you want to do. Cause I feel like there's a lot of unnecessary pressure that's put on to us. Yes. And that could, you know, whether that's from society or the economy or your parents or, you know, the media that you that you're opting to consume. Like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure coming from a lot of directions about the way that you're supposed to do things. And I think that, like, most people, unfortunately, this is just my opinion. I think that most people work at jobs they hate mm-hmm. and they do it because, you know, the system is in, in that way where it's like, look, you got to make money. Yep. You know, you can't just you can't like die on the moral high ground, literally, with no money. You have to make because money, nobody but... will care. You could douse yourself right. in gasoline and be a meme for, I don't know, a couple days if you're lucky. More than right. one day in in the meme culture is huge. Yeah. So what does that what does that serve for the rest of society to die on that hill? Yeah, I, I mean, so so it's it's a it's a tightrope. Because it's like you have to make money, but also like a lot of people, I think, give up on their dreams that they had when they were kids um, because and for any number of reasons. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, that it's easy to just do what it is you want to do. Oh, no. But, you know, I for for the first three years of the channel, I mean, we didn't even start making money until like 17. But for the first couple of years of the channel, I was working a full-time job and it was across town and traffic in Jacksonville is a nightmare. So I was getting up at 6 a.m. to be to my op to make sure that I was at my office by eight. And then I was working until five. If I was lucky, I would get home at like six or six 30. I'd have a quick meal with my wife and maybe watch an episode of something. And then I would edit and write until two in the morning. And I did that for, two and a half years. So, you know, it's not like a walk in the park to do it. But what I will say is like, now that I'm independent from all of that, and I don't have to, you know, I don't answer to anybody. I'm my own boss. I don't work for anybody. You know, there are parts of my job that I dislike, but overall I consider myself very fortunate. And I just wish, I guess that someone had guided me in that more independent realm early on, because all of the stuff that you hear in school is just like, well, you've got to go to college and get a degree. And for somebody like me, it's like, what? The, there's not a degree for me. Like, no. and even if you want to make the argument that there is with a school like SCAD or Full Sail, it's like, yeah, but not really. Because like, at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff is like post work. A lot of it's editing and programs. And it's like, you can't teach comedy. Right. I mean, yeah. you, you can do an extent, but like I never wanted to be like a stand up or a, a sketch actor. I actually really dislike acting in general, but um, but you can't really teach that stuff. It's something that you really either have or you don't. And then the real the real rub is finding out how to get people to pay. For you, for whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, I learned I, that was a huge bit to learn the hard way was that. Because I had ideas growing up, tons and tons of ideas, and finally like did one all the way through and made a product. And then, but in my head, that was 80% of the work. And that I have a good product now, people, I can make it and people can buy it. 
And no, that's like 10% of the work. Yeah. Marketing is 90% of your job <laughs> as a creative. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to stuff like YouTube, like I was just talking about this with, um, with Justin, my business partner and our agent the other day, I was like, you know, when you do something like we did with like the additions, it's like getting the audience isn't the hard part. You know, the audience just came as we produced. Now it's a scenario where you have to feed that monster. Yes. So it's like, okay, well, if people are here for this and they're signed up for it, you got to keep giving it to them. Yep. And that's okay. You know, I don't, it's, it's not that I'm, that I dislike it because it's fun coming up with the additions and shooting them and we have fun doing it, but you know, there's, you do, you can sometimes get yourself boxed in a bit too. If you, if you're not careful about like, okay, well you did this thing and now people love it. And now that's all people want from you. So like you better mm -hmm. deliver every time. Now that's or, your job is to not have any creative, you know, mojo in it and only deliver yes. what the fans want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, it's tough. It's like, it's hard as a creator too to like, you know, cause there's part of you that resents the audience. But it's like you can't resent resent the audience. They're your lifeblood. Yeah. So it's a, it's another tricky. It's a rock and a hard place thing where it's like, ugh, this is all they want. But also, it's like you should be grateful because you know when I tell people like I tell people this too all the time because I see people complain a lot about like YouTube and their algorithm and their standards and stuff. And it's like, look, dude, if this was the '80s, nobody would know who you are the best shot that you would even have would be public access television. And yeah. that's basically a meme. It's like, you know, the reality of being able to reach so many people and having so much accessibility to just millions of people, it's unprecedented in our history. It's like, I don't think people realize if, if something went on TV 25 years ago, do you know how hard it is to get stuff on TV? The number of people that are involved with money and executives and showrunners making decisions about, and then the FCC, you've got to deal with their regulations. None of that stuff really exists in this, in this new world of internet content. And I think that the, the younger generation, I think, needs to appreciate that more because I certainly do. It certainly changed my career making YouTube content. So, yeah, I mean, just any any aspect of the Internet in general, really, I think is is I feel like you you and I grew up in a very similar generation of kind of elder millennial, at least speaking on behalf of myself um, and and kind of seeing the world without the Internet, but also you know, we were early adopters in our family of getting a computer and getting the internet and things like that. And yeah. it, it it's, but being able to see both sides of that is a really unique position for some of, some of the millennial generation. Not everybody had the same experience, but it, uh, seeing that change and seeing, yeah, the, the, there were some people that could make it on 3am radio, but even there, you're you're competing against Art Bell and George Norrie and and right, right, the, the as seen on TV ads. Like yeah. the, even those slots are taken. So good luck. Yeah, Zennials, uh, they call us. How old are you? I'm 36. Okay, I'm 34. Okay. So yeah, so we were the last generation that like, and it's not to say that no kids do it, but like right. overall, we were the last generation of kids to play outside. Like I mean, the, yeah. And and I remember 
experiencing it and watching it take over. And I, like you, was fortunate in that my family and my surrounding family members were early adopters. In fact, my grandfather, um, that's kind of how he made, that's how he spent his career. He made a lot of patents for computers and stuff in like the 80s and 90s. Um, so, you know, 95, 96, we were on AOL. It was popping. Yep. But, you know, I was talking to my wife about it the other night when we were watching something. And I was like, it's just so interesting because back in the day, going getting online was an event. Oh, yeah. You know, you went to the computer room, which was, it a, was a ritual. It was like yeah, a it was a whole area of the house. And you had to go and wait for the dial up thing. And then you check your aim messages and like to be able to just pull that out of your pocket. Oh, yeah. And just within seconds, accomplish. Well, it, Whatever. Yeah, compute just having like being able to appreciate a solid state hard drive. Like my computer, like my full yes. computer boots in like six seconds. I know. Like not not ten minutes to DOS and another five minutes from DOS to Windows. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, man. And like uh, it's just uh, it is. We are unique in that way. Um, th those like us, like like I said, I, the, I read somewhere that they called it Zennials because it's like a hybrid of Gen X and, and Millennials, like not Millennials in the strictest sense, because when you think Millennial and for the case for most Millennials, they've not known a world without the Internet. Right. Um, and granted, the Internet was around when we were alive, but like, you know, it didn't pop off until, you know, oh five oh six yeah. like about the time that youtube came out and even for a while after you know you could make the argument that twitter really kind of started setting stuff on fire in 08 i think it came out so um that's when you know because even back in like 07 and 08 the the stuff that was popular was like dig and like um, oh wow god dig <laughs> which dig. that dig basically was the template for twitter though like, yeah, that, that's that, true. There was a lot of the the kind of it, it, slash Reddit, like it it diverged. It was the grand because there was the upvote and right. downvote, and that was it. And that's how yeah. you interacted. Yeah, and you know, Facebook changed everything. And I even remember I was a young kid. I was working. I was twenty one, um, in 08. That was the year that Carlin died. By the way. Oh yeah. Um, and I remember that because that day messed me up. He was a hero of mine, dude. Mm -hmm. Um, he taught me everything about thinking for yourself and like really just like questioning authority. And, um, he's a really philosophical, just a brilliant, brilliant dude. But anyway, I remember back in like, 08, I remember telling my boss, I was like, you know, we should have a Facebook, like this company should have a Facebook and a Twitter. And I remember him being like, oh, that's crazy. And then, you know, years later, it's like, you can't pick up an item in a store without there being a. Follow us on Instagram. Here's right. our Facebook or a you know, QR code. Yeah. To, yeah. On your on your groceries. Like, yeah, like I don't want to really interact with Lay's potato chips. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and speaking of groceries, I guess that pretty soon most Americans will have a part time job at Walmart because the Walmart by my house has no more real cashiers. Yep. It's all the self checkout. And, yeah, I was hoping know. for robots. <laughs> but instead, human labor is still cheaper. And I was like, yeah, well, if we force them into a position where they have to make robots, then they'll do that. It's like, no, they'll just make you do it. And what are you going to yeah. do? 
what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, it's, it's, there's a real like arrogance about there's the, the comedian Bill Burr has had a bit about it, about self checkout and the audacity of like, you come into my store, you pick out the stuff, you bring it up, you ring it up and bag it and pay me and then leave. Yeah. <laughs> like that's your business model. But I do it a couple of times a week. Cause like, mm -hmm. what else am I going to do? Like you said, like, what are my, what's my other What's my other option? And now that they're starting to develop AI that can like diagnose medical conditions, right? That's going to change nursing tremendously. Self-driving oh, yeah. trucks are going to eliminate three and a half million jobs for truck oh, drivers. Yeah. Not immediately, not overnight. No, because but it'll need people to be with them for way a faster while. than yeah, way faster. We're going to be able to deal with it though. Yeah, we have like, no plan for that. Like and, there's and zero. Elon, Elon says, Elon says, and I, and I try not to be too much of an Elon fanboy because, you know, I don't think that he's that great. He's not Iron that, Man. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not the end all be all, but he's a smart dude. Yeah. Um, and he says, and I agree, the real concern that we're going to have in the near future is going to be purpose, is going to be sense of self. Because if you are a truck driver, for example, and you can't get work because that position doesn't exist anymore. Well, then what else are you doing? Right. You know, like if you're a retail associate at Kohl's and, you know, Ford comes out with this robot that folds and stacks clothes. So your job is eliminated. What else are you doing? And I think that's going to be a bigger hurdle in the next few decades is like all of these people that are working these jobs that'll be replaced by robots, what are they going to be doing? How we're going to have to what create new jobs somehow or come up with I mean, if, universal basic income or something. I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people right now can kind of move to make art, but if everyone makes art and nobody is earning money, then nobody yes. can buy art. And yes. so, so yeah, what, what do you do there? I um I do I do want to take and we're gonna I'm gonna drive this back just a little bit and bring us sure. to a, a couple of uh I want to hit a couple of other things here and we can dive back into into the deep stuff um in a minute but I do want to hit on a couple of other pieces of song lyrics that you have in uh, in a few various tracks so some of these can be kind of quick hits um, okay a lot of your song lyrics uh, tend to reveal a lot about what I feel is your personal nature in an open forum. Do a lot of your lyrics actually ring true or is it more for the flow? Um, I mean, I think it depends on what it is. I think that um, I try to be forthright in my lyrics just because when I decided to start rapping, it was very important to me that I, that I leaned into it um, with, with the confidence that I wasn't trying to prove anything. So I guess like when I first started rapping and, you know, it's, it's still kind of the, that way this day, but to to this day, but in 10 years, times have changed. But back in the day, I almost always was laughed at when I told people that I rapped, um, because it just wasn't a thing that you would expect from somebody like me. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, it was important for me early on to like show people that like, for me, it wasn't a thing where I was trying to 
hip hop is a unique culture and it's a complex one. You know, there's, there's, there's the art itself, there's the lyrics itself. And then there's typically like the image of this rapper. Um, and it was important for me early on to establish that like, look, I'm not trying to be anybody that I'm not, I'm not trying to claim anything. So I think with all that said, like, yeah, most of the stuff is honest, but like I said, I mean, it depends on what it is. Like I'll throw in a line of something goofy just cause it rhymes. That's fair. Um, That's fair. Well then let's, let's the... hit a few. Okay. <laughs> let's okay. hit a few. So, um, you, you speak of your early time and trying to kind of stick true to form. And we had mentioned the early internet. Um, there exists a, a bit of a MySpace rabbit hole that one can go down and find themselves discovering the tongue tape mixtape. Oh, um, yeah, and yeah. in there, you have a track called Worth My Time, which states uh, that you it, worth the, the tongue tape mixtape is a little less nerdcore, but still has a lot of those kind of trappings in it, in my opinion. So yeah. you state uh, that uh, you like Pokemon in that one. Do you like Pokemon and do you have a favorite starter or overall Pokemon? Oh, I love that question. Um, so first of all, to save you time, everything in that song is true. Awesome. Um, awesome. But the, uh, in fact, that's the reason I wrote that song. Um, because uh, again, that was, it was pretty early on. I probably wrote that song a few years before that tape came out. Um, so it was pretty early on, but again, that was a thing where I was like, look, I'm going to lean into this. Like if, if I'm, if I want people to take me seriously for the fact that I'm rapping, I need to make sure that they know that I know what time it is in terms of like who I am and the kind of person I am. So Yes, I love Pokemon. I was on Pokemon when I was, well, let's see, it came out in 96. So I was nine. I got a Game Boy. <laughs> I got the blue version. I got on it immediately. And um, who was your starter? Who was your Bulbas starter? Bulbasaur. Yes. Yes. Bulbasaur, dude. Long and by live. the way, by the way, probably my favorite Pokemon. Amen. In general. <laughs> I love Bulbasaur, dude. He's just so dope. He's so cool looking. And he like gets you dude. through like the first three gyms solo. I know. Like, and dude, no, but everybody and, else is like Charmander. I'm like, Charmander struggles with rock. Come on. Like, dude, and and Venusaur is still S tier. Like mm -hmm. to this day, like we're like up uh, over a thousand now. And like, <laughs> right. you know, I'm not into it, but I have some friends that like still play online and stuff and are into the card and like the stats of it. And Venusaur still S tier, dude. Like, that's awesome. I, don't, I, I get like the whole Charizard and Blastoise appeal, but it was always Bulba for me. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I'm right there with this. I, I feel like we're a rare breed, but I, I don't feel like we're. Oh, wrong. yeah, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> no. Most people are either are either Charmander or Squirtle and Squirtle's cool, too. Yeah, but he's not Bulbasaur. It's not. <laughs> um. So also off the tongue tape, Stay Rad has a line about Admiral Akbar and um another one about your raps being like a hyperdrive. Uh, the tongue tape has quite a few of these minor nerdy references. But what uh, do you feel like drove you to switch to a, a heavier reference uh, or a heavier slant into nerdcore? Um, well, so the reason that I named the album Attack of Opportunity was because, you know, obviously on the nose of it, on the face of it, I named it that because it's it's a thing from D&D. &D. But also like 
for me, um, I was working and I rap about this in a, in a song that I haven't released yet. So this will, it'll be on wax at some point, but I was working on an album. I was working on my first album when we made hipster edition, um, uh. which was the first one we ever made. And once we made gangsta, because Justin wrote hipster and we originally were just going to shoot it and see how it went. And after he had written hipster and we did it and we had fun filming it and I thought it was a funny bit, I wrote gangsta and gangsta really kind of started. A lot of people saw that when it first yep. came out. So that was when we started getting, you know, a couple of thousand. I think at the end of 2015, we had like 6,000 subs, which was like humongous for us. Um, as we went along, I put the album on the back burner and I was like, I'm just going to focus on this. We're just going to, I'm just going to write this stuff and, you know, upkeep the channel and, and grow the channel. Um, when we made rap edition, it was just, I don't know, like that summer before we had released it, I was just, I just said, I'd come across this beat and just started kind of writing lyrics to it and thought like, Oh, well, what if I made like a rap? Like, what if we did a rap edition? So, um, oh, and it, by the way, it wasn't just a beat that I'd come across. It was actually the beat from the from the little pump song, the Gucci Gang song. Oh, okay. Gang, All right. Gang, yeah, that's the yeah. Rap Edition beat. It's like a remix of that beat. <laughs> okay, yeah, but I see that. Anyway, Rap Edition like really took off. And when it did, I was just like, I should just make an album. Like if if people are reacting so much to this, then I should just make an album. And that's actually why I called it Attack of Opportunity. And so the sh I, I, it's, it's interesting because it was a great opportunity and a springboard for me to get back into rapping. But, and it was also just kind of a convenient stumbling that it was just like, oh, I'll just make a and d themed album. And, you know, with Join the Party, I feel like I kind of phased, phased a little bit of that out. You know, like I, the, the way I the way I describe it is like Attack of Opportunity was like eighty percent D and D, twenty percent me, and I think the Join the Party is like, you know, probably like sixty percent D and D, forty percent me. Well, and I feel like so. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it intentional that so you, especially in Attack of Opportunity, uh, you start with kind of your introduction track and then you go into Gestalt where you talk about the barbarian and right. from there on through the album, in my personal opinion, and again, I could be totally wrong and looking too far into this. It seems like you go back and forth between kind of a hard hitting, really D and D focused kind of aggressive or more barbarian track. And then a more esoteric, uh, floaty, lighthearted, maybe a little more down tempo bard style track. Was that intentional? Um, I don't know if it was directly intentional, but I definitely think that like, you know, for, first of all, I'll say just as a precursor, I'm not one of those people that puts a lot of stock into astrology. So let's okay. just let that be said. Fair. But that said, I am a Gemini. So there is a bit of duality to my personality just in general. Um, you know, just like the concept of the Sour Patch Kid, like, so when I build stuff, I think that maybe even unintentionally or subconsciously, I keep that balance of like, 
you know, that comedy tragedy that just, you know, like you said, like aggressiveness and then more laid back. Cause that's kind of how I am as a person. I think anybody that like really knows me would tell you that like, I'm a pretty chill and like funny and cool and kind dude, but then also like I can be crazy and be a diva. And I mean, I think that's true about everybody. Um, but I think for me as, as a personal individual, like I feel my emotions greatly. Um, and so I try to like get that across in my work of just like that duality of man, like, you know, that's what clockwork's about, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the, that's the whole idea is that tightrope that we all walk of good and evil, like, and being able to present that in such a way where it's like, look, this is all of it. Like, this is the the good, the bad and the crazy. No, I, I think it shows. I think it shows. Um, so a couple of, a couple of quick, really quick one. Um, do you actually have a snapback that says given a fuck is my dump stat? Because I don't see it on the merch store and I want one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't. Um, so that that's a thing that's not true, but I just, <laughs> it was a thing that I had to say for the rhyme. Um, it works really well. And I think yeah. that, I think the, there's a, there's an opportunity there. So <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, I had done like a really poor design of one a couple of years ago. Uh, it just never really got together. It's just like, I am not a visual person when it comes to my art. I have no skills in like design or drawing or like understanding colors and decorations. And I'm just not, I don't have the eye for it. Um, but I mean, I would, it, it's a thing where it's like, you know, we're, we're going to be probably in negotiation soon for looking into new merch. So, um, well, I think a uh, retro wave, retro wave is really hot with those, like the kind of gold colored kind of lettering and a, and a, a, a hyper neon and blue pink D 20 with that on it would, that would, that'd be killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be dope. I would wear that shit. Yeah. I actually had a hat. <laughs> that uh that i lost in michigan um and on my one of my youtube channels there's video of me in it it was this lime green hat that said yazik on it it was in cursive like in brown. oh yeah 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 yeah. i loved that hat and i lost it when i got back from michigan i never could find it oh so oh that hurts but we'll 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 get we'll get it back we'll get something better in there <laughs> oh yeah definitely um Last one for the kind of quick hits. This may not be as quick a hit. Um, and it's, I think, a good transition topic. Uh, in your song, Retcon, um, is that an accurate portrayal of you getting into D&D? &D? And if so, whose driveway was it? And what is the story of uh, learning D&D &D in a driveway? That is true. Okay. That is true. Um, so back when I was in 05, 2005, mm -hmm. I was 18. It was the fall of, of, uh, of 2000, 2005. So yeah, like what, 16 years ago it was probably around this time. It might've been closer to Christmas cause it was kind of cool. So it was closer to Christmas, but, or it could have our, just been this time, 16 years ago, pre-global warming. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Um, but, uh, it was our friend Posey, um, who, uh, is he's, he was just an old friend. Um, and he was, he was kind of a friend of a friend, but a couple of my friends played it or had played it before and were planning on playing it rather. And so it became like a recruit game where it was like, they had enough for a party, but really they could use another two. Um, and so 
Rigsby, uh, the guy who plays Waylon on the channel, he and I have been friends since like eighth grade. He had played when he was younger. So he was excited about playing. And then Justin and I had never played. And it was very much a thing where I was like, I don't know, dude, really? What you just make it up in your head? Like I was very cautious and like with trepidation. And, um, but yeah, we played in the driveway and it was because it was like one o'clock and Posey's family was asleep in the house. So we were just on the driveway with books. We just, we had enough light with the lights in the neighborhood um, to sit out and play. And we played our first session. It was a couple hours and it was a nightmare for me because I was a paladin and nobody of all the people who knew what was going on explained to me about um, alignment, which in three, five, if you're a paladin, you have to be lawful. Good. You have to be. Yeah. Like this, all this Oathbreaker stuff was like not written in the rules yet. Like right. in three, five, if you were a paladin, you were lawful good. And if you chose any other alignment or you did anything that would break against that alignment, you lost all of your stuff. Yeah. You just stop being a paladin and you become an NPC. <laughs> yeah. And like immediately that became apparent because it was like, you know, people in the party just like attacked just they're just murder hoboing and like of course i can't, I can't even loot bodies <laughs> like, I, immediately was just like, I can't sucks, touch a corpse dude. that's not like, been interred <laughs> yeah so then the next session that i or the next campaign i played i discovered cn and that's all i've ever been is because yeah. i mean that, that gives you in my opinion it gives you the most freedom um i know that 5e is not as hardcore about alignments as earlier editions but still i think cn is like your best freedom I mean, I, I so I come from I I, pl- I started technically in like second edition and Hackmaster, uh, but that was oh cool like grade school one or two like knew a guy whose brother DM'd, so he learns from stuff from him, and he was very much so a DM versus the players kind of thing. So that right. was not a fun game. Um, but in my college days, three five was the jam. It was life, and, dude. Oh yeah. man, they dropped. <laughs> So many source books. There's so many three five source books. It's they were dropping them like once a month. It was mm-hmm. crazy. I had, I had a buddy who I think the only reason he ever got ripped is because he carried two duffel bags with like a total of eighty some odd books. Oh, like two hundred dollars. Yeah, it's just it just slam these two duffel bags down and be like, we're playing. And he knew, like he it was. I, I've mentioned this before that he he would bet. He was kind of a gambler and he had if you tried to call him on a rule, he'd be like page 132 expanded psionic left hand column like halfway down the page. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, you get to change the rule to whatever you want. And I owe you 10 bucks and I never saw anybody win 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Like we were always like pretty loose. Like a lot of the stuff that we played was like, well, first of all, like I didn't even, I didn't even play a module until like a couple years ago. Same. Like same. It was all homebrew. Everything I've ever played is homebrew. And also like home-based rules. Like we used to have a rule where, um, there was some kind of house rule that had something to do with crits. We had house rules about how health points worked and about how like uh, skill points worked, like to the point where like later I look back and I'm like, oh, that's not the rule at all. Like that's we just weren't something playing we D&D. <laughs> yeah, well, because Posey, Posey was our forever DM for like six years and like 
Ethan's been our forever DM for like the last, you know, five or six. Um, but yeah, it was like that was anytime we played, it was him DMing. So it was like you, you just get used to these rules and you don't realize that like, oh, that's not really a thing. That's just a thing that we all have agreed <laughs> that we do. What a, what was the kind of impetus to bring you in as the DM uh, in the D&D editions? Um, that's actually funny. Um, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I don't have much of a career as a DM. Like I've DM'd a couple of campaigns, but I've played way more. I've been right. a, a player way more. Um, yeah, and that kind of shows from a lot of your like actual play content, even on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've spent, a, I've, I love like for me as a writer and as a player, like I, for me, it's about the character. Right. So like the the whole it's like you can have an awesome story with like a really cool dragon. But like it, at the end of the day, it's about the characters and 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 how they develop. So Justin and I have been making movies together since like oh six. Like he's I've always been a writer my whole life. Like I've always written like short stories and poetry and like attempted several novels that I've got a bunch of like quarter quarter finished or halfway finished novels on hard drives all over the place. (laughs) Um, But um, but he's always been into film and he's always like had that vision of like of 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 being a filmmaker and being a director. Um, So back in the day, we used to make just like silly stuff, just like uh, like shorts that were like with the feel of like a guy Ritchie movie. It was just like a bunch of like shoot 'em up stuff and like zombie stuff. And we would make like trailers for films that we would never make, like just for just learning how to do it and enjoy doing it. And then um, Justin was making stuff, uh, you know, he, we've been doing like the 48 hour film festival and stuff for years and years. And so like, he's always been making stuff and he wrote the hipster script and just bought it to me, brought it to me and just asked me to do it. Um, and then the other people just kind of filled in as to who would be who would be in there and be in it. But again, you know, it was just like a one off thing for us. We had no plans on like building it into a thing. We were just like, this would be funny to do. And then we followed it up with Gangsta. And I think it was after Gangsta that we were like, we really have something, I think, with this. Like, we should just keep making these. And now it's been whatever, six years. And there's like over 100 of them. Yeah, and and there's that I actually kind of have a con like you did somewhat answer this question earlier, so I don't know that I want to take it in the same exact direction, but you have done so many D and D editions, and yet there is kind of an exhaustible mine of content that you could go in because you've done everything from making light of D and D itself by doing certain class editions or race editions, but you've also you know, used it as a satirical uh, leverage or vehicle for pointing out flaws in the normal world with things like Florida edition or gangster edition, et cetera. And, and with this breadth of content where you could l- kind of put your finger on anything or throw a dart at a Webster's dictionary and make that edition. Right. What, uh, what kinds of ways do you take to, to kind of narrow that down or what does that process even look like? Is that, you know, mostly you from a writing aspect, like how much of it is uh, kind of group think versus individual selection? 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, I mean, first of all, it's gotten harder. <laughs> I mean, the more of them, the more of them we make, the less ideas from the tree. Um, but you know, there's a we there's kind of like a it's kind of a multi pronged approach, I guess. Like, it, it we really just kind of take it by ear. Like sometimes it's just stuff I think of. Sometimes Melissa or Rigsby or Jay or Justin or you know some of our friends that aren't even like involved with the channel will say like, you know, you should do this or what about this? And like, we also take a look at like comments and stuff. And sometimes people send us messages and emails that are like, you should do this. And like, this would be really funny if you did it. And sometimes we take those, uh, we take those um, pieces of advice to heart and like turn them into scripts. Um, I, I think it's just like a matter of, uh, I, I don't know. It's it's whatever the mood is that week. It, they, the ideas could come from anywhere. I also try and sometimes like pay attention to what's going on um, in other areas of nerddom, I guess. So like, you know, I'll be I'll be trying to be conscious of like what animes or what movies or video games are coming out. And like sometimes we'll build around that just for like the search clout. You know, just like strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, no doubt. Like we'll just sometimes make like, yeah, we did that with like Monster Hunter. Like we dropped Monster Hunter edition like the weekend that the the new game came out. So, you know, sometimes it's based on that. Um, but I think for the most part, it's just like now it's become a thing where like I'd say like five years ago, it was a thing where we had all these ideas. It was an abundance of ideas and like only so little time to film and and so many weeks to produce. And now I think that it's like a, it's a abundance of time <laughs> and like filling that out. And that's OK. It's just a different approach now. Now, when I look at a calendar, you know, I don't look at it as 365 days. I look at it as, you know, whatever, 51, 52 weeks. Like we've got 52 Sundays this year. And like, right. how are we going to fill those and what will be there? And some of the stuff writes itself, like around the holidays, we always try and do like Halloween and Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff. And then other times it's just based on like pop culture and what's going on, or it could be somebody's idea or recommendation it could be anything really. Awesome. That's I, I was kind of wondering, because there has been a bit of diversification, but it's been, you know, like you said, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into just doing D&D editions &D forever. Because um, right. sure, they're fun. But as a, as a creative, I understand that like I, I want to express myself in other ways. And there has been some of that diversification through the channel. There's been some experiments and some things that maybe did hit or didn't hit. But it has been interesting to kind of watch and see that develop and see where, you know, where you're planning on kind of steering the ship, so to speak, and see right. what, what other kind of content is out there that can satisfy, you know, everybody's perspectives from, you know, wanting to act or wanting to write or wanting to film and get certain shots that you're not going to get in the D&D editions. Or even in, I, I think that a lot of the drunk before noon is great too, because that it's, it's interesting to see how drunk before noon has kind of influenced D&D editions, especially where there's anything off the table, which was kind of like the rap editions, right? Where, walking away from the table and having a bigger story be told. Um, yeah. And, and then, but at the same token, some of the drunk before noon has taken some static shots and some framings from what really seems to work in D and D edition. 
So I, right. I think it's interesting kind of watching some of that merge. I don't have a, a question with that. I just, <laughs> it's just an well, interesting observation. <laughs> yeah, no. And that, that means a lot, man. Cause like, I'm a huge fan of overarching Canon. Like if you, you know, the, the, the thing I like about, I think the additions is that they can exist independently. So, you know, what's cool is like somebody comes upon a Florida edition or something, and then they've never heard of us. And we have this whole backlog of stuff to watch and the, the, the episodes can exist independently, but there is also like, I'd like to think over the years, there's been, I think a good amount of character development within that because, you know, like for example, there's the, uh, like you mentioned in rap edition when I left the table. And then like, if you look at like DM road, where it's like a whole thing mm -hmm. where it's like I left the group and then they had a they had Ethan come in as the guest DM. Yep. And, and you get to also, go be a player and yeah, you're exactly. never going to come back. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also like the stuff where like they went and played with other groups. So like we haven't done Lance's edition yet, but we will be. Um, but we did a Waylon and a Sarah edition where they each played with other groups um, yeah. just because, yeah, like I like that, I like that kind of stuff and I like to write that kind of stuff because that's the kind of stuff I like to watch. Right. Like, you know, obviously Jake and Amir was a tremendous influence on drunk before noon and Jake and Amir works the same way. Like you can watch those episodes independently, but there is an overarching story. Like if you, if you're a diehard fan and you've seen them all and you've watched them in an order, you, you pick up on stuff along that train of like things that like ticks that Amir develops and says, and like you just over the years, like, and then you get like callbacks, you know, like, yep. and, and we've gotten to experience that with drunk before noon. Like I love drunk before noon. just because <laughs> it, it's, it's like writing a cartoon. It's, it definitely seems really like, and, and this may be a, I don't, we don't have to dive into a, a great rabbit hole, but is there less reshooting in drunk before noon? Because if you stammer or stumble, you can just say that that's how it was written anyway. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of the, the stumble stuff is like pretty tactical. Um, I, what I will say is, is that, um, we stick to the script on the additions a lot more. Um, you know, I think over the years with the additions, I've like gotten a really good idea of how those actors deliver their lines. Um, not only just as not only as as actors and an actress, but just as people like the way that they've because really at the end of the day, the characters in the D&D edition are kind of like exaggerations of those characters individuality like, right, you know, Lance J in real life is like. He is just like a fun, like fun loving guy. He's just like a goofy dude. And like Waylon's like Rigsby's just like kind of a cool, calm and collected. And like Melissa's like kind of a badass, but there it's just heightened very much for the show. And so um, does Melissa I, I, also cheat on her dice in real life? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. she's so good <laughs> at games, dude. It's crazy. She and my wife as well. Like they're just like any game they pick up if even if they've never played it they'll win it's crazy um but i mean that about that said about like drunk before noon there's a lot more playing on the set with drunk before noon um just because like i think that with the additions you know you want to accomplish some kind of a structure some kind of a plot in addition to getting the jokes in whereas dbn is just like straight jokes dbn is just like okay make me laugh for 3 minutes right and so it it kind of you really kind of like 
take the governor off of of yeah. what you want to do with the dialogue because it's like look all that matters is that people are laughing at this so when you get into it and i have a line that's written a certain way um on set justin or tom or even myself will be like oh what if we did this like a lot of stuff we'll think of in the moment you're like what if instead of this we said this and um that's the best stuff is the stuff that's just kind of spontaneous so I think that there's like there's a lot less structure with DBN. Um, and yeah, there's probably a lot less of like reshoots or redoing of lines just because it's like whatever it was funny. If it was funny, it wins. So. <laughs> was there and and I get if you mentioned a, another show, I get a little bit strong feeling of um I don't and I don't know how familiar this may be a deep cut, uh maybe not. Uh are you familiar with uh Hey Ash What You Play in or Hop? Um where Ash Ashley Birch's old YouTube shorts, where they they were kind of video game based shorts, it has a feeling. It's something kind of in between uh, a Drunk Before Noon and a D and D edition, because they were all kind of video game, but they were like three to five minute shorts. And at first, they were just shorts, but they started developing that. Right kind of you know where now there is stuff that's kind of canon and we can do callbacks and we can do a, a, a deeper slower storyline that kind of burns in the background that you don't notice in the individual episodes but if you watch them in the order you can pick up on so oh yeah and you know so there's something else to be said about the canon and um i'm sure that i've said this publicly before probably on my podcast but um i think that my old podcast i think that uh th it should be known that from a canon perspective, uh, the D&D &D editions are a prequel to Drunk Before Noon. Oh, OK. OK. I so, was actually I was like, it doesn't seem like it could necessarily be a sequel. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah, I could see a prequel occurring it's, in there. Yeah. The, the, well, because the thing is, is that Waylon, his character is Waylon Brandoberger. But in Drunk Before Noon, he's Topaz. Ah, um, yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom in the D and D universe is Thomas Findel because he's played the shrink for the DM therapies. Mm -hmm. Um, so he is Findel. Um, it's just I don't know what that turning point will be, and I don't know <laughs> when those things will ever get connected if they even do. But in my head, that's the way that it's always been. Is the drunk before noon is like the rabbit hole that I go down. After, after the players break you. <laughs> yeah, after whatever, it, you know, whatever that event is that pushes me away from the table for good, I guess. That's awesome. <laughs> I love I love that. Um, I want to hit a couple of more things here and then uh, and then, you know, I don't want to I don't want to hold you too long for time. Um, but uh, kind of jumping back a little bit to wrap, uh, you did the Nicki Minaj Megatron challenge and wrote bars. Yes. And in that, you claim that you have a disdain for hooks and that you have a difficulty in writing them. In my opinion, almost reminiscent, the song is reminiscent of Blues Traveler's hook, but from the other direction. And I, I just want to kind of see, do you feel like you have to put extra effort into your hooks and bars coming more naturally? yeah i i suck at hooks man like and i don't know what it is because like i you know my music 
path has been kind of erratic. I started playing the saxophone when I was in like the sixth grade uh, because my grandfather played the saxophone and that was just, or my great grandfather, I should say. Um, And then it wasn't until I was like in my teenage years, I picked up the guitar and then I was in a ska band for a while. And then I did, uh, we had like a, we had a band that was originally like a screamo emo band back in like 06, 07. But then like over the years, it developed into funk. Um, oh, yep, as it does. <laughs> yeah. um, but then I started doing my own acoustic stuff. And then it wasn't until like 09 that I started rapping. Um, but all of that said, um, the, uh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the question. No, I mean, I just, dis- I, I basically just want to disagree that uh, you are in any way lacking in the hooks department. I find them quite catchy. Um, oh, and I well, think that they do you. their service well. I think that it, it, I think that you are correct in stating that, you know, the job, like all of the pieces where you replace the hook or the chorus with a monologue about the nature of hooks, I think right. all of that is true. Um, but I think that in your other uh, established songs, I think that you, I don't, I don't see it as a consumer of the media. I know that, you know, as an artist, I'm my own worst critic, but unless unless there's a a, a giant discrepancy between the amount of effort being put into each piece of the song, I I think that they're great. So, (laughs) well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I think that um, I think that hooks in hip hop in particular, hooks in rap in particular are a different kind of animal from a writing perspective. I never had issues writing hooks for my acoustic songs. I never had issues writing hooks for, uh, you know, I guess like in rock, you call them choruses, but I mean, it's the same thing. Like I never had any issues with choruses before I started rapping, but you know, I think that there's a specific kind of art about hip hop and like how you work with the, how you work with the beat and the rhythm around that. Um, to make it different because, you know, with hip hop, you have a lot of instrumental repetition. So what you're doing vocally, I think is more important than like your typical rock song. Yeah. The voice a is song, a much more an instrument. Yes, definitely. Like with a rock song, everybody's doing their thing and you can appreciate that. You know, like if you take like a Zeppelin song, right? Like you can appreciate the percussion and the bass and the guitar and the solos and the singing or like Queen. You can appreciate all of those instruments. But with hip hop, it's like, yeah, sure. There's art within the beat if you want to break it down and dissect it. But most people listen to rap because of the lyrics and most of those people listen to the rap because of the hooks and you know when you take somebody like nape dog who was just an absolute monster when it came to, to to hooks that were just like good and catchy and like made you energetic and feel like just such a dope addition to the song and then for me like i don't know what it is i don't know if it's because like i i think it's because i treat the rap like when I'm rapping, I don't have to do anything except if I'm in a verse, I don't have to do anything except deliver rhymes in the design that I want. 
But when you're in the hook, you have a different kind of set of rules because it's like, well, this also has to be something that serves as kind of like a, a, a signpost for the whole song. Um, it kind of ties the rest of the song together. It's typically the thing that people remember about the song and the reason well, it's they it's listen repeated. to it again. Yep. Yeah, because I mean, most people, nobody knows the verses. They know the hooks. You know, most people, nobody knows the choruses or, or rather nobody knows the verse to like one week by the bare naked ladies. Right. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. so uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's just a challenge, but I appreciate you saying that because I really do feel like I'm not good at the hip hop hooks, but no, I think they're great. I think, and even like really going back and I, I understand where there may be some disjointedness and just enough time there, but for anybody that is a fan of your work, I actually really highly recommend the tongue tape. Like it, it, sure. You can see some earliness. You can see nine years of development, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm not even going to, I, I, that's wrong. That's wrong. I want to take that back. I don't want to say that you can see nine years of development. You can see development. I actually think that the quality of that mixtape is a lot higher than a lot of early stuff that I've seen from people. <laughs> like I've been, I'm an yeah. indie music fan and I think that, that there's a lot of quality. There's sure. There's a couple of lines here and there that you can see got pulled because you probably really enjoyed the way they flowed or what their message was. But for the most part, it's a very unique album. And I think it's a great introduction to go back to. I don't think I would start people there. I think attack of opportunity is, is wonderful for, yeah. especially like you said, it's, people that are already into D&D that may not be huge into hip hop can go right. there but also i think that people that were into nerdcore like i i was pretty early adopter of nerdcore i was into mc chris mtc front a lot a um, lot yeah mc lars like the 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 what the the laptop ep was great and yeah, well, Chris really hit the scene with uh, Aqua Teen, right? Like, exactly. When, I mean, people were like, "Whoa, is this a real thing?" Like, yeah, for sure. And and with all of that, but at the same time, nerdcore has kind of slipped as a genre in favor of. There are still some nerdcores, but a lot of them are kind of anime or video game references. Yeah, and or like because YouTube and video game hip-hop goes well but as a genre nerdcore has not really sustained you could probably say that um oh no oh no why is it slipping um cardboard castles watsky thank you uh you could say that watsky kind of continued like carried the torch but i wouldn't necessarily call that nerdcore it's kind of like an evolution yeah, I think that um, I like Watsky a lot. I, I relate to Watsky a lot because I think that he and I have similar kind of wavelengths when it comes to just being like these really goofy white guys who just have a way with words. Um, and, and, you know, by the way, you mentioned that there's, you know, there's not much of a space for tabletop in nerdcore. That's another element of why I called the album attack of opportunity. So there was a, there was a third element there of like, of like, not only is this something that, you know, cause for me, it was a moment where I was like, Oh, well people like this. I can do lots of this. Like I'm good at this. So I'll just make an album. And then also realizing at the time, like, Oh, 
nobody's doing this. Like I remember Googling like D&D rap and like, yeah, maybe a couple of things, but they were like tongue in cheek. Like right. no one was really doing it. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just step into this vacuum. Thanks. Like I'll be the only person doing this. And like, right. I hope that that, I hope that that gets other people interested in doing it as well. Like I would love to see more D and D rappers come well, in and, and do that. I think that you've looped in cause there are D and D songs and there are some people who have, who have done well there. And right. you've even, you even got to uh, kind of do a bit of a, a feature in, in one of your songs as well. And evil eye off of your latest album. Uh, you got to rap with Jenny D. And, oh, and she's kind of noted as as going into some of those more par slight parody style songs, but in the same kind of sense that I would kind of credit her as a bit of like a Lindsay Sterling, but from a cosplay perspective instead of a violin. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I cannot say enough good things about Jenny D. She's just she's tremendously talented. She's so nice and and really reliable. You know, the stuff that I've worked with her on on like the album and and when she guest starred on an episode like she's just the best. I can't compliment her enough. Like she's she's was really nice throughout the process, too, and also like really quick and efficient, which I really respect. Like she she is also like another creator, so she gets it and she hustles, dude. That girl is everywhere. And and she deserves to be like, but when we did the album, like it was hilarious. Like I had given her like a hard date of like when I wanted it. And she had sent me an email that was like, hey, you know, I'm really busy this week and I'm going to do my best to get in the studio. And then literally the next day she was like, here's everything. <laughs> I was just like the like she was probably I probably worried more with people that I physically know about getting right. their stuff in than I did with her. Like, so yep. yeah, I think that she's just awesome. And yeah, again, she's in that space too. And there's not many people doing it, which is one exactly. of the reasons she's killing it because it's like, well, who else is doing that? Like right. who else, who else is like serving up content for, you know, the D and D community when it comes to, you know, not just like the cosplay stuff, but just like from a creative standpoint of like the characters that she creates and the sketches she does, like she's really funny and talented and I'd love to work with her again. No, that'd be awesome. And, and it does kind of bring a little bit of full circle back to, uh, you know, you, you do a lot of raps. Uh, you've mentioned some, uh, some other works that you've done as well. And every album has a bit of an acoustic track that is more of a ballad. Um, yeah. than, 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 you know, a kind of a standard rap. And I think it's a great nightcap to the album to show range and as kind of a nod to your, your talents as well. And I, and I wonder, do you believe that the inherent nature of hip hop draws a poetic nature out of you or does poetry come first and flow come second? Um, I think it's different for everybody. I think for me, poetry came first. Mm -hmm. um, I was always like, uh, you know, running the risk of sounding like a bragger. Like I read early, um, you know, I started reading pretty young Same. and I got really obsessed with books, but not in such a way that it was like, for me, it was like, oh, people can do this with words. So, you know, I, I was always writing as a kid and like I got published in a book of poetry when I was like 11 and like 
so I've always written and I was always, it was always for me, the words first. Um, and, and as I mentioned, I didn't start getting into music, certainly not into hip hop until I was like 13 when the Marshall Mathers LP came out, that changed everything because I was like a 13 year old white kid. And I was like, white what people are allowed to rap. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, well, I mean, you know, Lincoln park and, and a few other, even some of the industrial music of the time like the the late late 90s and early 2000s with corn and lincoln park and even oh, slipknot dude. and stuff they I would throw in some rap i was so into that stuff too dude yep. i was so into corn dude ninth grade with my disc man on yes. the bus it was fucking my jinko jeans <laughs> it was corn it was corn issues and freak on a leash it was yep. slipknot self-titled album um you know, nine inch nails, like yep. any of that stuff that was just like, you know, really breaking down the barrier as to like what you can do it was like really showing how subjective the art form was. So for me, like the flow came later, but I think that I've always also, in addition to like, just like understanding words and rhyme, like I'm, I'm, I'm a good orator. So like, and I'm a fast talker as well. And like my mom will tell you like, I, I always talk like I talk in my sleep, like uh, since uh, when I was a kid, from the moment my eyes would open, I would just talk until I was asleep again. So it wasn't a much of a transition when it came to like putting the two together. But I think for just me, talk the to the beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think for other people, the music can come first, too. You know, like if you look at somebody like um, you look at somebody like Easy E, like he was not really a wordsmith or a rhymer right. like he in fact didn't didn't even write a lot of the stuff i mean I'm, he wrote his share and i'm not taking anything away from him i think he was an incredible no, no. lyricist but i just mean that like somebody like easy had more of the of the ability with rhythm and the ability of you know that the the his talent was like the confidence and carrying himself and presenting an image and it was less you know whereas somebody like ice cube i think his talent was much more in the writing in the lyricism right. and so i think it's different for everybody just you just got to do what works for sure for sure and i think that i think that it is interesting that everybody has can apply like maximize their talents in the field to still achieve a productive and like i guess quote unquote worthwhile result right like yeah. you can you can start from either end and still get to that same kind of pinnacle of your craft in the same realm but come at it from completely different angles yeah and i think with hip-hop it's inevitable when you're talking about poetry because i mean that's all it is it's just poetry to a beat like it's different than regular music when you take something like rock and roll there's a lot more going on with with hip-hop and with rap it's just rhythm and lyrics that's all you're working with and like like i said not to take anything away from the beat because there's an incredible amount of talent and art that goes into the construction of these instrumentals, especially lately, like the last 10 years or so, the stuff that some of these people are producing is just crazy from well, a musical I mean, standpoint. That was a lot of my introduction to hip hop really was I came from an electronic dance music background. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I came from like I, for a long while and like I, I'm a lyrical person. I, I listen to the lyrics. I like to understand what a song means. I know a lot of things about there's a lot of 80s songs that people don't realize just because a song sounds happy doesn't mean that it's not terrible, oh, yeah. no, <laughs> you know, no doubt. Yeah. 
but for me, it was always kind of about the bump. Like I want something that sounds good on a system. Yeah. And if it doesn't move me, if I can't dance to it, I'm not going to listen to it. And there's sure. some songs that I will listen to that I don't like the lyrics of, but the, the backtracks hit my soul. So yeah. that's kind of where I started. Yeah, that's I mean, no doubt that's valid. Like there's some there's some stuff that I'll listen to that, like if somebody were to look at it objectively, they would be like, what the hell? But it's like, look, man, this just hits certain notes in my psyche. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's some wacky stuff that I'll listen to and like and people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, man, like I'm a huge fan on like I'm big into like early like funk and soul and like mm -hmm. stuff like Gladys Knight and the Pips and Earth, Wind and Fire and like Otis. Oh, Redding yes. And, like, oh, yes. I love all of that stuff, man. And it like hits a certain, you know, it hits you differently than Tupac or differently mm -hmm. than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like mm -hmm. it's a spectrum, really. It's just like whatever you're in the mood for and whatever you want, uh, you know, whatever you want to gain from that piece. That was like I, I definitely was against crunk as a genre until <laughs> until i played need for speed underground 2 and then all oh, of a sudden yeah. there's a lot of good stuff that on entire that. soundtrack there's like 30 some odd songs and every single one of them is a banger <laughs> yeah yeah that was a dope soundtrack we played that game a lot back in the yeah. day on <laughs> oh so well um Chaz, I do not, I do not want to cut this short, but we are, we are getting there. So there is going to be some additional content. We're going to record a little bit more uh, over on Patreon. But before we get to that, I always like to seed the floor uh, to the last, however much of the episode you would like to take up uh, for any sort of shout outs, topics that we didn't discuss um, or any sort of content that you would like to promote or rep. I want to give the rest of the episode to you for that. So whatever you have, snippets of wisdom, shout outs you want to make, people you want to credit, whatever it may be, I give the floor to you. Cool. Um, well, I don't uh, I don't have any hard dates on anything. Um, I think in terms of plugs, it's just, you know, you can find the channel at Man Shorts on YouTube, youtube.com slash Man Shorts. Um, we do the additions there weekly. We've got Drunk Before Noon running again. Um, those drop on Fridays. The additions drop on Sundays. Um, I will say that I'm probably going to be streaming here in the near future. Uh, once I get my new rig, I'm going to be getting a new PC in the next couple of weeks. And once I do that and feel more comfortable about my computing capability, I'm going to start streaming again. Um, so I am, I am Yazik MC on Twitch. Um, and so there's nothing there now, but there will be hopefully in the near future. Um, and then in terms of just like snippets of wisdom, I don't know. I think that, uh, everybody has just had a really rough time of it this last 18 months. It's just been tough. Um, and, you know, with isolationism and like whatever's going on with, you know, you may or you may or may not have lost your job or lost a loved one. And it's just a really tough time. And I think that, uh, you know, the silver lining in it, I think, is that it's given people kind of the opportunity to analyze their lives, kind of maybe step out a little bit and look at what's going on. And so I guess that I would just say to anybody out there listening, like, just make sure that you're doing what makes you happy and make sure that you're not interfering with other people's happiness. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's all you can do. I think you just got to try and improve upon yourself as to be the best version of yourself that you can be um, while 
you know, not interfering with other people. And it's easier said than done, believe me. But, you know, try not to get tied up in the politics and the religion and, and all of the things that divide us and just try and focus on the good and just, you know, the golden rule, right? Just treat everybody how you want to be treated and just try and get better every day. I could not say any of that better myself. Uh, Chaz, thank you so, so much for joining and and sharing some of your life and your content, your history with us here. Um, man, just thank you so much. I can't say anything else. <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. I, I had fun. It was great. That is all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to Chaz for joining me on my special one-year release episode. It has been a wild ride Uh, This is 52 weeks since the launch of my first episode of Dungeons Editors. So thank you all for showing your support, for following on Twitter, for doing all of the amazing things and getting this episode uh, to the ears of yourself and maybe some of your friends and others. So thank you all so much for that. If you enjoy this episode, consider clicking on that little star rating or dropping a review in your podcast app of choice. It helps boost the algorithm gods and gets this podcast out to more people. It really does make a difference. It helps get this episode out there. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. All of the links and my contact information discussed can be found down in the show notes. If you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at anddinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you're interested in supporting the show or want to get access to the entire back catalog of bonus exclusive episode content like today's bonus full-length episode with Chaz, where he comes back to talk more on D&D, why creatives never stop, more behind-the-scenes action with the D&D editions, and more, or you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for other great podcasts to listen to, you can check out my other broadcast. It's called Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why video gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend, Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with all of you. Thank you all for one year, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.